Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! everybody welcome to another episode of the search for truth podcast i am pastor young let's get our bibles out and go straight into today's study um i want to build today upon the foundation that i laid uh an episode ago in this season Uh, i'm not talking about the saturday rewind of eat or be eaten um i'm uh I, which, by the way, I hope you guys enjoy, uh, will enjoy those uh, uh, recordings. But uh, building on to where we're headed in season four concerning uh, the new birth doctrine, uh, specifically through the lens of the Old Testament. In a previous episode entitled Expecting a King, I kind of started beginning laying, laying the foundation for what Messiah would be. Um, let's, let's kind of review there and then we're going to go a little deeper today. So as we already know, the promise began, uh, among the prophets who the Lord revealed, um, you know, all the way back in Genesis three, which I've covered before, uh, you know, that there's going to be one that arises. There's going to be a seed that comes forth. There's going to be somebody that stands in the gap, somebody that, uh, that comes and rescues, uh, the lost state of mankind. Um, I, I want to take you first to Isaiah seven and 14. Imagine, imagine with me as you're turning there, Isaiah seven and 14, imagine with me, uh, that you are a Jew, uh, in the time of, of Isaiah this we need some context here they have uh they've been overthrown they uh are in oppression they've they've already long gone are the days of uh you know the the height of the kingdom under Solomon's reign by the time that Isaiah is writing those days are far gone the days uh, of David and you know the days of Saul and the days of the prophet Samuel those are long gone and so I want you to imagine with me being a Jew. Can you put yourself in their sandals for just a moment and think to yourself that you've been overrun now by another kingdom? You're being dominated. You are, uh, you, you are, your national identity is being choked out by these idols and by these other uh, kingdoms and by these people that worship false gods and by idols. Um, and then a prophet begins to speak, and it says in Isaiah 7 and 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which of course they knew means God with us. Now, that, that's 
not very deep. It's not something that we, you know, really need to elaborate on very much. But I want you to get in those, get in the experience uh, of the of the Jewish person during this time. They've just received in the midst of all of this, uh, all of the prophecy of destruction, and you know, the Lord saying because you wouldn't repent and because you turned yourself away from me and because you gave yourself to idols and because you did all, I'm going to rain down. I'm going to bring my servant, you know, I'm going to put a hook in his jaw. I'm going to drag him down to you. He's going to overthrow you and your cities will be laid waste. And in the middle of all of that, this, these promises begin to arise where it's in stark contrast to the destruction that uh, that their idolatry has merited for all this time. Imagine in the middle of, of living in a society like that, that you are in the midst of, uh, you know, another another culture putting its foot on your neck, beginning to uh, try to strangle out every bit of worship of the one true God that was possibly remaining. Uh, you know, never mind the idea of how many in your own nation have turned to idols, but. Uh, you know, now you're now you're overwhelmed and you're overpowered by these idolaters that are running through and trying to uh, trying to stamp out any remaining hope that you may have for a revival. And then you get a prophecy saying God is going to come and He's going to be among you. Now that's a message of hope. And so imagine with where the Jews' minds. Uh, you know, are starting to go here. Wow, what is he going to look like? What is he going to be like? And this is where I kind of left off uh, in the previous episode, expecting a king. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government, the kingdom, is what I taught earlier, shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, his kingdom, and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You hear things like this and you start to think, if you, if you are able to go where I need you to go and get in that mindset of, uh, of this early, uh, early Jewish person that they're hearing these things and these are grand descriptions of what Messiah would be. It doesn't say, and his name shall be called, uh, you know, weak and helpless. Uh, his name shall be called, um, you know, a beggar or his name shall be called uh, the, the poor. No, this it, it's saying that he's going to be wonderful. He's going to be the mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting father. He's the increase of his government shall be no end. He's going to sit on the throne of David. There are all these robust, uh, powerful images that we're getting in this, uh, in this prophecy. And so, this is forming the Jews' expectation of Messiah. The, of course, I, I think some of you may see already where I'm headed, that when Jesus got here, whenever the Lord was born, he was born in a manger. He was not born in a castle, and we missed it, or they missed it, I should say. That he, he was not, he didn't come, as, as to quote uh, my last podcast, he didn't come with golden glowing skin. He came with dirty feet. He didn't, he didn't come, you know, with, with a crown of gold and diamonds and sapphires on his head. He came to wear a crown of thorns. You see, he, 
He, he traded his scepter for a walking stick. He traded the crystal sea to come and cry, I am thirst. And this, this this is a God that we're trying to wrap our heads around because if we program our expectations into what he should be like, Jesus does not fit that description. Go with me to Psalm 72 and verse 11, speaking of the Messiah, yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For, she, for he shall deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy, shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence, and precious shall their blood be in his sight. He shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised. There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. The fruit thereof shall uh, shake like Lebanon, and they of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. We, we see uh, we see things like this, you know, in, in prophecy. And then when Jesus gets here again, I say, it's almost as if he's unrecognizable. And so, we're, we're very quick to, uh, to criticize the Jews for not realizing who Jesus really was. As we know, Nicodemus met with him and called him rabbi. Jesus turns to his disciples, and I'll cover this again a little bit later, but Jesus turns uh, to his disciples and, and he says to them, who do men say that I am? They say, some say that you're John the Baptist, that you're one and the same. You're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. There's... Uh, Whenever Jesus is turning and asking them, he's getting an inventory saying, how well do I fit the Jews' expectations of what Messiah would be like? And the answer that he's getting is, Master, they don't have a clue who you are. Okay, well, who do you say that I am? Peter is the one that steps up and is able to say, I know who you are. You're the son of the living God. You're, you're the son of the Most High. You're the one that they've been talking about all this time. But yet, what I want to show you is that even his disciples did not really have a great understanding of who, uh, of who they were speaking to. You see, Jesus was more than just, than just a king. Again, I say Messiah is a lot more than just a king. This is what they were expecting because you, you take, like I said, these, these bold reports of who Messiah would be, that kings would fall down before him, that he would have the gold of Sheba, that he would have he would be the mighty God, that he would be God among us. And we think of God as so high and so exalted because he is. And we think of God as so huge and so powerful that maybe he would walk around like a bodybuilder, you know, or maybe he, you know, veins popping out. He'd be picking up maybe like a, a revived version of Samson. You know, this has got to be Messiah. I just saw him lift a city gate. I saw him tear a lion apart. I saw him do all of these things. But Jesus comes as just a meek teacher, a, a, a meek man raised in a carpenter's home, raised in, uh, in, 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 a, in meager uh, setting, raised in Nazareth of all places. And Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That doesn't match our expectation of Messiah. Now, here's where, uh, here's where there's something that is lost. There's a disconnect in the Western world and in modern Christianity. 
and where we um, fail to realize a, a huge reason why the Jews uh, missed the the understanding of what the Messiah would truly be. Okay, because the Jews, believe it or not, they were actually searching for yet another. Okay, there's some that say that this is even what the disciples of John the Baptist were mentioning whenever they asked the Lord uh, Jesus, are you he that we are looking for or should we look for another? That they were actually, there was, there, there's the Messiah that they're anticipating, Mashiach, right? Um, they're, they're expecting, and, and in the Greek we get Christos, it's all the same, the anointed one, right? And this, they, they're looking for a king. They're looking for someone that matches that mighty God, that, that gold of Sheba. They're looking for somebody that has wealth and somebody that has power, somebody that has military prowess, somebody that would come in, uh, you know, in a, in a golden chariot, not somebody riding on a donkey. They're, they're, and so they're looking for, these, uh, for this, this man that matches that being a king. But what I want you to see is that there are other prophecies, okay, that uh, that are also talking about Messiah. But the Jews said to themselves, "This cannot be the same person," okay. Prophecies like in uh, Psalm twenty-two, verse one: "My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me?" Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. In the night season and not silent, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Now, listen, I know that you might say to yourself, uh, this is probably just David talking. No, no, no. This is a parallel that strikes itself between David and Christ. I know that you saw beginning this chapter, he said, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we've moved to uh, despise to the people, a reproach of men. Uh, in verse eight, uh, they say, the, the people will say, let him deliver him. And we remember that that the uh, those that were crucifying Jesus cried out, why don't you go ahead and heal yourself, right? Deliver yourself. It says, all they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads, saying he trusted on the Lord. He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my brother's, my mother's breast. And I, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped me upon with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Listen, listen. People realized whenever David got this far that David's not writing about himself anymore. They look at, they look backwards and they say, mm, David doesn't fit this description. I poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. 
My heart is like wax. It melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up. They look at the life of David and they say, yeah, he didn't necessarily have the easiest of lives, but this does not match his past, nor does it match his present as king. Listen to what he says next. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help me. You see, they, they started to read this stuff and they said, wait a second, this is prophecy. This, this could only be someone that is in the future that, whose hands and feet would be pierced. Did you realize, have you ever realized that crucifixion is not a Jewish custom? It's a Roman custom. And during this time, Rome has, I mean, the, the, during the time of David, Rome is nowhere even remotely close to a threat to Israel. But during the time of Jesus, Rome, of course, is occupying everything. And they institute crucifixion. This is a prophecy. The Jews read this and they said, I, this cannot possibly be the same one who would have the gold of Sheba, who would be the mighty God, who would be God with us, that God being a king, being highly exalted, being mighty, being strong, being unlimited. There's no way, no way that he would be reduced to such a one saying the bones that you've broken, the, the, I'm compassed about with dogs, I'm, my, my, I'm dried out and my, my mouth is, is so dry, my, my tongue cleaves to the roof of my mouth, help me. Why have you forsaken me? This can't be the same. This can't be Emmanuel, God with us. This can't be. And then you've got passages like Isaiah 53, and I could honestly, I could go into the entire chapter, but I'll just give you five verses. Verse one, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant out of, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. They, they read this stuff and they say, no, this can't be Emmanuel. This can't be the mighty God. This cannot be the one that is, you know, going to be the, our, our king, our savior. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. The Jews heard this, they read this. It was spoken in their hearing and never could they reconcile the idea that the king, God, Emmanuel, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. They, they could not reconcile the idea that this could be one and the same. There's no way that this same God could possibly come and suffer and die. There's no way that this same God could be the one that is willing to come and pay the price for my sins. It just doesn't add up. And so they invented who this secondary nature would be. 
what they said is that we have a Messiah that is coming, but they said also we have one that is going to come and suffer and die. It's not necessarily that they rejected Isaiah's prophecies. It's not really that they denied what David said, but instead it's more that they decided what Messiah would be. They decided the role that God would play in their lives and in their country. They decided that God would be a military power, that God would be full of riches, that he would be this man of great might and majesty. Never, never in their wildest dreams did they think that these two natures could all be contained within the same person. And so the Jews created in, uh, in, in their prophecy, they said, we're going to look for the Messiah. We're going to look for the king that was talked about in Isaiah 9. We're going to look for, you know, the mighty God. That's that's who we're going to look for, that military power, that, that man of great prowess, great strength, influence. He's going to be good looking. He's going to be, you know, be our Superman. We're going to look for that guy, and we're going to call him Messiah. But did you know that in Jewish history, and by the way, to this day, they, they separated the prophecies of Isaiah 53, the prophecies of Psalm 22, the prophecies that talk about his suffering and his sacrifice, they separated that out and they said, this cannot be Messiah. He would not suffer. There's no way. Messiah, God, the mighty God, he's not going to lay his life down, have his bones broken, his hands and feet pierced. There's no way that God, Emmanuel, could fit that description. And so they decided this must be someone else. And this is what the disciples of John the Baptist were actually getting at when they say, are you he or do we look for another? They're trying to discern, do you fit Messiah's role or, and let me introduce you to the secondary role, the Jews created this idea or this identity for what uh, Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 and the other passages refer to. And they called this not Messiah, but they said that this would be called the suffering servant. Did you know that the Jews were actually looking for more than just Messiah? They're looking for one that also fits the description uh, of, of the one that would suffer for us, that the one that would pay the price for us, because that doesn't fit Emmanuel. And so they say to themselves, we're looking for Messiah. We're looking for Emmanuel, God with us, the mighty one, the everlasting father, prince of peace. We're looking for him. But there will be someone else that comes that will be the suffering servant. And this is going to be the one that dies for us, whose hands and feet are pierced, the ones, the one who uh, the, is the chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed, because that can't be one and the same. Now, now, I'm pulling this somewhat from Jewish history, but we actually see this emerge in the New Testament, not just concerning the disciples of John the Baptist, but we see this in Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. Check this out. Mark 10 and 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. There's another account of this, that it's actually their mom that approaches him. But same conversation. He said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. You see, their perception of Jesus is that he was the Messiah, but never that he was actually also the suffering servant. This is why they say, in your glory. But Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? What cup is he talking about? The cup of death. Because they grasped the idea of him being a king, but not of him being a lamb. 
They, they could wrap their heads around the idea of him emerging through the ranks of political power, but they could never wrap their heads around him laying his life down on a cross. Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and, eat, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, all shall you be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give. It shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. You see, these disciples, these are not strangers that come to Jesus and say, we, you know, we think we understand what's going on. And the Lord say, you really don't know. No, these are his friends. These are the people that are closest to him. They don't have a clue that he is more than just a king. Matthew 16, check this one out. In verse 13, I mentioned this earlier. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? You see, do you understand who I am? Do you understand who it is that you've been talking to? And they said, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elias and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ. So Simon Peter is able to recognize you're the Messiah. You're the one that, you're the son of the living God. You're the, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Peter is giving him credit there. But watch this, okay? Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now we give Peter a lot of credit, and we say, All right, at this point, Peter has got Jesus figured out. Not so because we stop reading at verse 19. But check out verse 20. Look at what it says immediately after he gives this promise of authority. Whatsoever you bind on earth, bound in heaven, loose on earth, loose in heaven. Verse 20, the next verse. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Wait a second. That sounds totally counteractive to the Jesus I know. Go and spread the gospel. Go and preach far and wide. Preach it to every creature under heaven. But he says here, don't tell anybody that I'm Jesus the Christ. Huh. From that day forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things. You see, the reason why Jesus told them at this point, don't tell anybody who I am, is because they didn't understand who he was. They understood his kingship, but they could not understand his sacrifice. Immediately following this is whenever Jesus starts to teach them. Verse 21 says how he must suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him. This is still the same passage, verse 22. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What Jesus is saying here is you have decided who I am based on your carnal expectations. You want me to be a king, but I came to be a lamb. You wanted me to be a superhero, but I came to be a sacrifice. Uh. Now, unfortunately, my time is up. 
but I'm going to have a part two to this, part two of The Suffering Servant. I hope that you all tune in next week to the Search for Truth podcast. Don't forget to check out my uh, my, my Besties for the Resties podcast, uh, Steadfast Devotion with uh, Brother Trey Cornwell, John Calvin Chance. Don't forget about the Uplift podcast with Brother Nathan Beeler and the This Is That podcast with Brother Oscar Aglano. I love you guys. I know it's a cliffhanger, but you have to love me to make it to heaven. See you later. <laughs>